Well, I won't call any names. <laughs> I told Rod when he was wiring me up, he said, we don't want any problems. I said, there'll be a problem. <laughs> Reject, yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what degree of technology electronics have. It can be something as simple as a Coke machine or as complex as a Mac notebook. It's going to malfunction with me. That's all there is to it. There is an invisible electronic force field around my body that interferes with the signals in cyberspace. Here we go. Thank you, Rod. Appreciate that. Uh, Joshua chapter 14 is what I said, isn't it? Well, that sounds like a good idea. Let's stick with that. Joshua 14 in verse number 6. We'll read through the end of that chapter, Joshua chapter 14, verse number 6. The Bible says, Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which Yahweh spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses... Moses, the servant of Yahweh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed Yahweh my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you, and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, Yahweh has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years. And from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. And I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. And as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going in and for coming out. And then, now then, give me this hill country about which Yahweh spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there and with great fortified cities. But perhaps Yahweh will be with me and I'll drive them out as Yahweh has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, until this day because he followed Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Have you ever noticed that we as Southern Baptists and particularly evangelists and preachers seem to have a particular demographic to which they seem to preach Sunday after Sunday? It seems that we have this concept in our mind of this poor, distraught, person whose life is in shambles that somehow or another just wandered aimlessly into our worship service and this is the day which they're going to be struck with a lightning bolt and 
they'll be gloriously saved and find themselves transformed in the altar during the invitation and will hence set their lives on a God-honoring, Christ-exalting life to accomplish great things for the Lord. I mean, we've all heard the jet-set evangelists who just flew in for the meeting talk about the beautiful but young and distraught stewardess that served him on the airplane on the way to the meeting. She was so distraught and so discouraged and so desperate until she was about ready to open the cabin door and bail out and end it all. But in her search for, for meaning and life, he was able to, to, to disseminate for her God's purpose for her life. And lo and behold, she was gloriously saved on the flight, stopped being a stewardess and surrendered her life to full-time service and, 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 and missionary work in the Congo. And now millions of people are coming to faith in Christ because of her work. Well, I'm not going to preach to that demographic. Because I think that most of us live in a world that's a little bit different than that. So I want to speak to a larger crowd, I think, than that. And maybe you're a part of that crowd and do not know it. But I want to speak to the person today that is indeed a believer. You've been saved for quite some time. You are well acquainted with the lingo and all the outward trappings of Christianity. But yet, way down deep in your soul, there's this nagging itch that you can't scratch no matter what you do. There's this hunger that no matter how you try to satisfy it, it seems that nothing will satiate it. You're to the point that you wonder, is, is this all there is to life? Is this all there is to church? Is this all there is to Christianity? You're to the point where you feel trapped by the monotony of the same old routine week in and week out. And the walls of that rut seem to be closing in on you. And you're yearning for the supernatural elements of this abundant life which we've read about and which we hear other people talk about, but it seems that it's nowhere around, not even on the radar scope of where we are. Well, if that's where you are, let me just say to you that you're in a good position. You're in a good position, but a dangerous position. It's only dangerous if you try to find contentment in the wrong places. But you're in a good position because it's that type of discontent that is always the catalyst to change and progress. And I want to say to you that this life that God has called us to should be marked by anything but boredom, by anything but monotony, and by anything but routine. And somehow or another, we've reduced it all to just a continuous series of going to one more meeting after the next. 
And everything seems to focus on whether or not I'm in the next meeting on the next Sunday. And my spirituality is completely gauged by how many indentions my rear makes on the foam cushion of the church pew. I mean, have you ever been there? If not, I pray that you get there quickly. And if you're, if you are there, I want to try to take this passage today and maybe clarify what God is doing in your life and where it is that you may be going. And I want to speak to you on this subject. Get home. I can remember those words from my mom and from my dad when I was 16 and 17 and 18 and some of my friends and I were out at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because the prayer meeting went just a little longer than we anticipated. <laughs> Where is she? Oh, well. No, 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 not her, my mama. <laughs> she is a hot mama, but mama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other mama. <laughs> you, you know what I mean. I've heard those words. It's getting late, son. Get home. And I, I want to say that to you today. It's getting late. Get home. But where is home? You see, home is that place that you're yearning for. And let me hasten to say it's not Beulah land. I mean, you're going to get there quick enough if you're one of his. But I'm talking about that place in this life that you are double destined to occupy. A place that you were born to be and you were reborn by the grace of God to feel. See, I think God has those types of intentions for us. He saved us individually. He gifted us uniquely. And He has something for us to do beyond the bounds of the routine and the monotony that we have seemed to reduce everything into. And that could be what you're hungry for, to get to that God-given station in life for which your soul thirsts, where you can see supernatural things, where all the supernatural dimensions of this walk of faith are reinfused into our journey. Things that we read about in the Gospels and the book of Acts and we read about in some of the great pilgrims of faith in past generations those are the things you'll find when you get to that place when you get home to that place for which your soul yearns but you see i think you'd agree that too much of our life is in a position where we can go through our routine without god we can survive without the supernatural. And there's something welling up within you calls, calling you to be a risk taker. To be a faith walker. To where you're out there and you can truly say, God, if you don't come through, we're going to fail miserably. And none of my bets are hedged. There's no sandbagging. There's no plan B. This is it. It's all or it's bust. 
And God is totally dependent upon you. You see, that's where Caleb was. Caleb was a man well-versed in a walk of faith. Did you notice the phrase throughout this passage three times repeated itself that said, Caleb wholly followed the Lord his God. He was no rookie. He was no novice. He knew what it meant to follow the Lord. And he'd been following the Lord now most of his 85 years. And now he's 85 years and he comes to that place where he looks back over his life and he sees the conquest of the land. He sees God's people moving in to take possession of what he promised. And you would think at 85 years old, Caleb would sit on, on his front porch in a rocking chair and reminisce about glory days. But there's something within the man of God, within the woman of God, that refuses to let him be content. You see, because contentment, contentment is the mortal enemy to fulfillment in this journey. Those who are content to sit comfortably within the confines of what is comfortable will never ever experience and will never ever satisfy that God-given itch and desire that's imprinted on your soul to live in the environment of the supernatural. And now here's Caleb. And he goes to his buddy Joshua. Because there's this itch within him. He's 85 years old, but yet he's not in that place that God designed him to be in. Oh, listen, if he would have stopped right there, his resume would have rang superb throughout eternity. But now 85-year-old Caleb goes to his brother Joshua. And he begins to talk to him and ask him some questions and ask his permission to do what his soul says must be done. So notice what it is that Caleb did. Caleb was wanting to get home. You see, the focus of Caleb's life was turned away from being successful to being significant. And he began to think, what do I have to show for my life? What is posterity going to read about me? What foundation, what inheritance spiritually am I going to leave for my children and their children's children so that I'm not forgotten just three generations down the road? What it was that he began to look for. So he goes to his buddy, the commander-in-chief, Joshua. And he says, something I got to do and I want to run it by you and I want to get your blessing. And what he had to do was he had to get home. Now, let me describe this. Let me show you how home is identified in this passage of Scripture for Caleb. And maybe it will identify where it is that you're headed. Where you're doubly destined to live. Because we could just leave this thing nebulous and the itch in your soul would never be scratched. So let's try to move to a little bit more particular and specific. Notice how home is described in this passage of Scripture for Caleb. First thing we can say about home, the type of home, where 
where Caleb was headed and where you're headed, what you're looking for, it's something that was previously spoken by the Lord. I mean, look at, look at what the Scripture says. In verse number 6 and in verse number 12, Caleb says, You know the word that Yahweh spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. Wait a minute. That was 45 years ago. And it was still as fresh in Caleb's heart as if it happened yesterday. You see, that's what happens when you receive a word from God about your home, your destiny, what you're designed and what you are created and reborn to fulfill in this life. You never get away from it. And look again in verse number 12. Caleb says this. He says, perhaps Yahweh will be with me and I will drive them out just as the Lord has spoken. Verse number 10, again, he, spokes about, he talks about this previously spoken word. And can I say to you today, sometimes we want to hide in that comfort zone and stay tucked within the confines of our routine, feigning that we don't know what it is that God wants us to do or where He wants us to go. But can I just destroy that thought today? I would be willing to say, and I am going to say, that you know where your dream life is. And I'm talking about this spiritual life. What you were destined for by God, the reason for which you were saved, you know because He's a God who communicates. And He always speaks very clearly. So what I'm talking about today is really not a prophetic word. I'm speaking more as a historian than a prophet. Because many of you heard a clear word from God about your destiny years ago. And it's still ringing in your soul. And you know exactly what it is. Notice what else the Bible says about this home for which God has destined us. Not only has it been previous spoken of by the Lord, but I think we can say it's been put off for far too long. Verse number 10, look what he says. The Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years. 45 years. This task has remained undone. And there hadn't been a day gone by that Caleb hadn't yearned for it. Oh, he's doing some great things. But he's not doing the one thing that God had spoken to him about 45 years before. I think you would agree with me that most of us know what it is the Lord has for us and where it is we'll experience the supernatural elements of Christianity in this satisfied, abundant life. But we've put it off for years saying, I'll do it when I get around to it. Let me get the kids through high school. Let me get them married off. Let me do whatever and then I'll get around to it. And can I say to you, clock is ticking. Too much time has already passed without doing it. Just walking out there by faith and saying, God, here I am. I'm miserable. I'm discontent. 
I'm no longer going to sit and watch as other people experience this abundant life while the walls are closing in on me. It's been put off for far too long. Notice the last thing, how this destiny of yours is identified. You see, Caleb's destiny was populated with obstacles that seemed way too large to overcome. Notice what he says in verse number 12. He says, For you heard on that day that Anakim were there. Now you know who those guys were. That was Goliath's people. They were pygmies by no means. They were not pushovers. And not only were they huge people, but they had built great, walled, fortified cities. So can I say this to you? If the reason you haven't occupied your home, you are not at the reporting station for your duty post in life because it seems too big, you'll never get there. Because here's the reality. What God has destined for you is not easy. As a matter of fact, there are obstacles there intended, purposely placed there by Him that guarantee that you cannot do it as if you were carrying on your normal routine without Him. You've got to have Him in order to get it done. I mean, these were Anakim. These were giants. These were fortified cities. And here was Caleb with his ragtag army of former Egyptian slaves and sons of former Egyptian slaves. Somehow or another, we've got to erase from our mind the concept that if it's God's will, the doors will open and all the obstacles will be removed. Where in the world did we get that thought from? Let me show you what Paul said about that. Very quickly, very quickly. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, right at the very end of it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Paul says something here that's always been something that's caught my attention. Look what he says. Paul says in verse number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Did you hear that? Paul says it just like as a matter of fact. He didn't say a wide door has opened, but there are many adversaries. He said a wide door for effective service has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. You see, in Paul's mind, great opportunity and great opposition go hand in hand. They're always in the same place. And why do great, op great opportunity always have great opposition? Read something just this week. Let me show you this. Uh, every morning I do about two hours of, of Portuguese lessons with some of, our, some of our missionaries who are in the throes of language acquisition. And one of the things that we do is we read through out loud through one of the Gospels. And one of them's reading through the Gospel of Mark and they're reading it to me in Portuguese, and I purposefully won't look at it in Portuguese because I want to hear it from them. If they don't say it right, if I don't understand it, it means they didn't say it right. 
Well, here was the end of the section in Portuguese with one of the missionaries this week. I want to see if it jumps out at you like it jumped out at me. Sometimes when I hear it in Portuguese, it jumps out because in English it's so routine. But listen to what this verse says. Right at the very end of the Gospel of Mark, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. Did you get that? And in Portuguese, it said it like this. They went out and they preached the gospel everywhere while the Lord Jesus cooperated with them. Wow. Wow. Do you see what was going on? A time of great opposition. A time when these guys were doing what they had been destined and reborn to do. And in the process of doing that, who drew near and was working in their midst with them, through them, around them? None other than the risen Lord himself. Son, that's what I hunger for. I've got to tell you, my soul finds no more joy in going to meeting after meeting and preaching and not experiencing the anointing of God upon our service or upon our message and nothing happening except getting up and going out and getting ready to come back and do it all over again next week. Where is God's power? Where's God's presence? Have we programmed Him out and have we reduced it to such a routine that we don't even need Him? Would to God he would shake us up and get us so out of our comfort zone and so discombobulated that we can't even find up without him. Notice what else the Bible says in Joshua chapter 14. Number one, how your home is identified. Number two, how your home is inherited. See, that's what you want to know. How am I going to get there? Yeah, I can relate to what you're saying, but how do I get from here to there? Well, notice how it was that Caleb did it. And I think more than anything, it was a matter of character. A matter of character. And you see, that's what God's been working on in Caleb now for the past 45 years. That's what he's working with me on. That's what he's building in you. That's what this process of sanctification is all about. It's about character and strength of character and making us into the image of Christ. And notice Caleb's character. I love what the Bible says about him in Numbers chapter 14, verse number 24. The Bible says this, but Caleb had a different spirit. There was just something about Caleb that was different. And here he was at 85 years old saying, I'm going to get what God said was mine 45 years ago that I probably already should have taken. You see, Caleb was a man of faith. You don't just wake up at 85 and decide you're going to be a man of faith if you hadn't been walking by faith during those 45 years in between. And can I say to you that where God has had you maybe for the past 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, or 10 years, He's had you in that position where you have learned who He is to trust Him by faith because when the moment comes like now to get up and inherit your home, to take your destiny is going to require every bit of the faith that you've learned, every bit of the faith that he's given you over the past few years. I love what Jerry Falwell used to say, and I believe it. Everything that God has done into your life up to now is in preparation for what he still has left for you. 
So it's not that you've wasted all of this time. You've been in training and in preparation all of this time. And here Caleb was a man of faith. Now because he had a different spirit, there's some things about Caleb. We could just talk about this man's character forever. For instance, Caleb rarely was discouraged. And if anybody had a reason to be discouraged, it should have been Caleb. I mean, after all, it was Joshua and Caleb who were the two spies who were faithful unto God. The text takes nothing away from him. He wholly followed Yahweh. But listen, when Moses died, there was only one position open. We got two qualified candidates. And you know how the story goes. It wasn't Caleb that was chosen, but Joshua was chosen to be the commander-in-chief of the armies and the nation of Israel. Now put yourself in Joshua's shoes all of a sudden. Joshua had been looked over. He had been left out. I mean, he had been rejected. How would that go today? I can tell you how it would go. Candidate that doesn't get chosen gets, gets mule lip, doesn't he? Sticks <laughs> his lips out. Wonders why nobody likes him. And if, well, that's the way y'all are going to be, I'm just going to go home. See, Caleb wasn't like that. Why? Because of his character. His character. He was a man who knew how to deal and how to combat discouragement and to get ultimately where God wanted him to be. Notice something else about this man. Notice his conviction. He was a man of character. He was a man of conviction. And we could go through all, on and on. But notice what he says in, in, in verse number 12. He says, now give me this hill country. I love that. The old King James says, now give me this mountain. Give me this hill. I'm going to take it. Because it's what God spoken to me about years ago. Look at his conviction. For you heard on that day the Anakim were there with their great fortified wall cities. But notice how he does this. He's a man of conviction without being arrogant. Look, look what he says. Perhaps Yahweh will be with me and I will drive them out. And here, here's where we know he was, had conviction. Just as he has spoken. See, there was no doubt in his mind. The conquest of this hill... And the taking of his home, the granting of his inheritance to his posterity had little to do with him. It had everything to do with the God who had said it and the God who cannot lie. He says, now give me this hill. We're going in there. We're going to storm it. We're going to take this hill. Now, see how your home is identified, that place for which you are doubly destined. You see how your home is inherited. And let me close with this. Why your home is important. I mean, why is it even important that you do this? Well, if getting rid of the discontent and the itch in your soul and the hunger in your being isn't enough, notice what the Bible says here about this place. All the way down in verse number 15. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. You see, it was just named Hebron in Caleb's day. Here's what's interesting about the connotations of this Hebrew word Hebron. 
It has overtones and connotations of fellowship. <laughs> fellowship. So why did it go from being Kiriath Arba to Hebron in Caleb's time? Because that was the place for which Caleb was destined. And that place for which you are destined, for which you are uniquely qualified as the sole resident of God's kingdom to take, that is the place where you are going to experience the fellowship of God to a greater degree and a stronger intensity than anywhere else on planet earth. None of you hungry for the supernatural, saturating presence of God. You got to get home. See, the old theologians used to talk about two levels of God's presence. They used to talk about His omnipresence. God is everywhere. He is. But there's another level of His presence. It's what they call the intensified presence of God. When you knew you were in His presence and the Holy Spirit goosebumps began to run up your spine and the hair on your arm begins to stand up, you want to take off your shoes and you're afraid to move and afraid to speak because you know you're in the presence of a holy God. You see, that's the type of presence we're talking about in that place that God is destined for you. In that role, in that position, God has carved you out and caused you to reborn, be reborn, to occupy. You know why it is that we're addicted to frontline missions? something in the Great Commission has to do with just that. Jesus said, and I will be with you always. That intensified presence of Jesus, just like in the closing verses of Gospel of Mark. And He cooperates with us. The thing that keeps me going to overcome all the obstacles, all of the possible discouragement, all the lack of amenities, all of the sacrifice is everything is worth it for the presence. Supernatural, intensified presence. God Almighty. Notice one more thing, and I'm out of here. I told Rod all I had to do was preach short. <laughs> We'd hit our goal. Why is it important? Because the presence of the Lord is awaiting you at that place that He's destined you for. Number two, look what the scripture says. Verse number 15, it's kind of put on as an epitaph, the very last sentence. Then the land had rest from war. See that? When Caleb did what God had destined him for when he occupied what God had said, this is your inheritance, I'm giving it to you. <laughs> See, he was a man that was already saved. He was already in the land of Canaan, which symbolizes salvation. But he still hadn't done that thing. He hadn't occupied that station that God had said, this is your inheritance, it's your destiny, son. And so many of us today, oh yes, we're saved. We're bound for glory but we're not experiencing the fulfillment and the supernatural elements of a walk with Christ because even though we're at ease in Zion, we've been saved. We're not in that place occupying that role that God's marked us out for. 
He's marked out that place for us. Because of it, there's a lack of peace. There's discontent in your soul. But notice what the Scripture says. Then the land. You see, not only did Joshua have peace, not only did his tribe, his clan have peace, but when Joshua did what had been put off for 45 years, and he took Hebron, and he stormed that hill in the power of God, the entire land had rest from war. You know what that tells me? And that tells me, I'm not going to experience the peace that passes all understanding. Experience the supernatural elements of God until you are occupying the place that God's marked you out for. Think of what would happen in the confines of this sanctuary if 400 people gathered next week who were occupying their inheritance. My goodness, the peace of God would wash across this place to the point where you would say, what took us so long? I never want to leave. The presence of God they would have to rename this place Hebron because the presence of God is so strong. And people who are discontent all over this coast would be saying, something different going on up there. There's a presence. There's a peace. There's a power. Hey, where are you today? Are you satisfied? So I pray that God will make you very discontent till you get to that place that he has doubly destined you to occupy for his glory and for your good. Stand with me, please. Father.